When you work with Rabo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.raboag.com. Growing a better world together. Rabo AgriFinance. Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neifer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with Trey Wasserberger from Nebraska. Uh, Trey just won the Top Producer, tomorrow's Top Producer Award uh, that we had in Nashville. Trey, how are you doing? Hey, Paul. Good. Doing great. Back here in uh, North Platte, Nebraska after my trip to Nashville. And uh, yeah, just back to the grind. I'm just curious, you know, my wife and I, we moved to Colorado about four months ago. And the nice thing about Colorado in the wintertime, it's sunny. And typically when we get snow, it melts like the next day or two days after that. But this year we've had snow on the ground for, it seems like about two or three months now. Uh, how's, how's the snow situation in North Platte? Yeah, same with us. We actually just were like, 65 days of snow cover or something in a row so uh yeah we've been bedding cattle since december 16th so that's been the winter that sounds about right i ended up uh driving from washington state my my car i finally drove it down and i got here about two days before christmas and it was like 10 degrees below zero and snowing and uh you know just just that fun stuff yeah yeah totally same here Mother Nature is undefeated, and uh, she uh, she proved it again this year. Yep. Well, that's that's good. And actually, we're not complaining. We need the we need the moisture. So I'm 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 never going to complain about too much moisture. No, hundred percent. My grandpa always said you got to pay for moisture this time of year, and I mutter it every time we get a little little storm. We're supposed to get some this week too, and it's just just part of it. So yeah, yeah. Actually, my uh, youngest son he's he's into disc golf, and he and I went out yesterday and. We were at this one disc golf course, and it basically was a field of mud, and we got about three holes in, and after I almost fell down once, I said, we're out of here. So, But enough <laughs> about me. Let's go ahead and uh, get started on uh, on uh, your 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 career and background and so on. Let's start with, you know, as I always start, uh, how, what's your background? Yeah, so I got kind of an unconventional way to get into the ag industry. Um, uh, you know, my dad is a my dad was an educator and a coach and uh, my mom was a nurse, is a nurse. And um, both of them were raised on uh, perennial uh, ranches in, in Eastern Wyoming near Lusk. And uh, so I'm about a generation away from it, but I always was always going with my, my granddad and, and uh, you know, always going with my cousins and brandings and, Oh, just always wanted to be a cowboy. And, um, you know, I, I graduated from uh, Campbell County High School in Gillette, Wyoming, and went to the University of Wyoming, and I was on the rodeo team there, and uh, kind of got, you know, going in the Western lifestyle there. I always wanted to be a cowboy, and so I joined the royal rodeo team there, and uh, met my wife, uh, Dana Wasserberger, or Dana Olson then there, and uh, yeah, we both graduated with ed- education degrees, to be honest with you, and uh, moved to North Platte, Nebraska. We went and 
uh, leased a couple ranches around and worked at some different places, and, um, some big commercial outfits and learned a lot. And then we had the opportunity to come down here to North Platte. And uh, I worked for her dad for a while in, in the feed yard and learned a lot there. And it kind of kind of gave me a foundation for the industry. And, and I started at the bottom and, and you know, riding pens and, and shipping fat cattle. And then uh, our mutual banker, uh, uh, Greg Wilkie at First National Bank, introduced me to uh, Mr. Bill Rischel. Bill Rischel, um, he had three daughters. He's, you know, a historic breeder and it's a historic cow herd here in North Platte, uh, about 50 years of genetics. And um, it was just all about timing, right? And uh, yep. they put each other together and and uh, we, we met in October and uh, we bought uh, from scoop shovels to uh, herd bulls on, on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so it took about two and a half months and we never counted cattle we didn't count hay bales and he just said here it is uh you can make a run of it kid and you want to do it and we had we had a, a two-year-old son at the time we moved out here and had our first bull sale in march of 2017 uh you know a short 90 days later and um never owned a registered cow and all of a sudden i had a bull sale and uh it's always it's just it's amazing. It's been five years now, you know, to 2022. It's, uh, it's amazing that how fast it's gone and how much we've yeah. learned. <clears throat> yeah. That's the short, well, short story. Well, I got a couple questions for you based on, on that short story is uh rodeo team. So what, what did you do for, uh, as far as rodeoing? <laughs> yeah, so, so I get that question a lot. I actually had a guy ask me yesterday and, um, I couldn't afford, a horse in college so i you know everybody wants to be a roper right and so i couldn't afford a horse and so i actually started in the rough stock events and and uh, i rode uh saddle bronc and and then uh that you know i wasn't really good at it <laughs> so i uh, <laughs> i had uh larry sandvik and kelly timmerman were both you know nfr and kelly timmerman was a world champion and he said hey why don't you know i was a i was a wrestler too and state champion wrestler and i knew kelly and i said hey um you should think about riding bareback horses. And, and I, I did, I got on my first horse and I rode it and I, you know, I, it was kind of a death sentence. And then that just kind of made me a, a bareback rider and, and I really enjoyed it. And then, uh, yeah, so that was my event. I rode bareback horses for you know, five, six years, probably there for a while until I had to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and also keep your health. I mean, if you ride it too long, uh, you, you're, you're going to end up with a few too many injuries, I think. Yeah, I, that's my career got ended short. I had a horse flip over on me in the chute and uh, broke my back in two spots. And I, few, I got fused from my, I broke my L1 and L2 and, you know, mm -hmm. spent, a, spent a long time in hospital bed. And, and uh, but Dana and I were dating at the time and it kind of went to, uh, kind of went where I was maybe going to go try to make a life of it and rodeo one. And she didn't want to do that. And we were, we were drifting apart and, and August 6th, uh, 2012 i broke my back and and i was done never could ride again and and uh i i hadn't finished school yet actually and so i had six weeks of uh massive therapy um, yeah. every all day to learn to walk and, and and simple things like brushing your teeth and learning to write and i was a mess and um so my dad i was talking to my dad and my dad said what are you going to do he, i said well i can't work i mean i don't i don't know dad and he said why don't you go back and get your degree and uh, so I went back to the University of Wyoming and, and got my 
uh, teaching degree and, and Dana and I got back together and the rest is history. It was actually the best. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but the best thing too. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Remember that uh, old saying, well, it's a new saying, happy wife, happy life. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's what happened to you. Yeah, totally. It's uh, it was a blessing in disguise and, and uh, I'm proud of where we've come from and it's all about timing and a little bit of luck. And it's been good. And, uh, and you mentioned um, that you have registered herd, uh, but you didn't mention the breed. So I want, uh, you know, for the listeners to, to understand what, what breed of cattle that you are, are raising and seed stocking and so on. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Angus Heard, uh, Bill Richel, you know, he started the uh, Ruby at Tiffany cow line. That's uh, very, very prominent in the breed today. The original uh, Tiffany BR was, you know, 1987, born right out here and at the ranch that I'm at. And uh, yeah, we sell about 400 bulls a year now. Our bull sale is coming up March 17th this year to, uh, on St. Patty's Day. And and uh, yeah, we're, um, you know, top 10 for registrations in the Angus breed and and uh, our deal's really grown through the feed yard and the feed test and um, commercial heifer development and buying our customers' calves back. And, <clears throat> you know, now with our other venture with sustainable beef, it's uh, it's uh, we've grown every year. We've added about 100 bulls every year and um, life in the fast lane and, and uh, tuition. <laughs> school is still in session. Yeah. And, uh, and tuition's high right now. And uh, but uh, we love what we do and uh, we're very, very thankful for Bill and Barbara Richwell for giving us opportunity to a young family never even had a registered cow to to have a bull sale 90 days later and and you know embryo transfers and ET work and um you know DNA and genomics I mean yeah, was, yeah. this is this is not your granddad's cow herd right and, no, uh, no. so we're very very blessed yeah are you um, doing anything besides the uh, the seed stock? Are you feeding any commercial cattle or anything, or is it just the the seed stock operation? Yeah, so I had a small cow herd, uh, commercial cow herd before I bought this, and and I um, uh, sold them to buy this, and so I was always in the commercial cow herd. Um, now I don't run a lot of commercial cows. Um, I, I do breed a lot of commercial heifers. I probably breed four to 600 a year. Um, I buy most of them from customers, um, all of them from customers. I buy them back, you know, if they don't keep any replacements, like I went, went out last week to the overall livestock and bought 168 head off the Alward Ranch. And um, yeah, I, I breed them and promote our program. And my, I got great help here at, at uh, TD Angus. Uh, my guys all know how to AI and they're really meticulous about um, setting cattle up and nutrition and management. And they're really, really good breeders. and and uh, we, we go now it's turned into we go to our customers ranches in May and June and July and and breed their heifers for them, you know, free of charge. Uh, we just go out there and, and they line it up and we pull up with the breeding barn and get to work. And uh, I think last year we bred over 3000 oh. um, for our customers. Yeah. So we're busy. Uh, my, my guys are hard workers and incredible where I, I couldn't do it without them. Um, you know, we calve in January, February and then. Uh, we got a bull sale in March, and then we start breeding in April and May. Then we go to grass, and then we breed about 3,000 heifers through the summer. And then we have a fall herd, too. We got about 500 fall cows, registered fall cows now that start calving in August, September. Then we start breeding in November, December, and then we're calving again. I mean, so uh, when's our slow time? Uh, the answer is no. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That That's the thing with a livestock operation 
there is no time off. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So that's that's definitely true of livestock. Yeah, totally. We when I when I, I was very I got nominated from my bank for this top producer award and and was very humbled and um, you know undeserving to get it. But uh, they told me when the when the um, convention was going to be in Nashville and it was right in the middle of our sink day. I and I you know I think we left we left I can't remember we left the ranch on like Monday night real real late. We got in early morning on Tuesday. We did the convention uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, left Wednesday night, and we were back in about 35 or six hours. Um, just, you know, and we were getting bad weather too. It was just, you know, and it never is a good time. And they kind of laughed. They said, well, you know, this is usually, this is Farm Journal, you know, this is kind of our slow time. I said, well, <laughs> uh, I was flattered, no doubt. But yeah, it's uh, it's tough to get away, no doubt. Very, very tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that'll be... Uh... Part of my question a little bit later on and uh, i think i already know what the answer is but we'll come back to that so so right now you are uh you know you, you have a lot of irons in the fire so to speak uh, you have a, a seed stock operation that you're still growing do you plan on keep growing at about 100 bulls a year or is there some point where you say <laughs> hey based on the infrastructure that we have we're going to sort of top out i'm sort of curious on that yeah, totally. Uh, you work for my bank, Paul. <laughs> uh, because oh, I'm I a CPA, to... I know I know what the bank okay. is thinking. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, you're you're my accountant. Um, yeah, so I get that question a lot. They're like Trey, I mean, when when are you going to hit your number? I get that question a lot from my bankers who have a very very close relationship with, and uh, Chance Schilling and the boys at First National Bank and um, and my accountant as well, Jim Keck, I, and I say. You know, every year, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, I'm going to sell 400 bowls a little bit more on March 17th here in a month. And I never know if I'm going to get them sold. And I, I don't know that today. But every year, I've added 100 bowls, and I'm terrified that we're not going to get rid of them and sell them. And we do. And so, I, I it's just, a am going to go through this sale in a month. I'm going to digest and, uh, you know, assess how it went. And if we, we found good homes and put... You know, these are high quality bulls. We we yeah. coal we coal extensively. We will coal all the way till sale day. And um we'll see if if I, I, I'm trying to keep these bulls economically feasible for these commercial cattlemen. Um it's hard to make fifteen, twenty thousand dollar bulls work. Um yeah. but, but I can give you a sound, really good footed, uh long bodied, thick bull that's got some carcass quality and some growth and some moderate birth weight out of a great cow herd. Um, and I want to kind of be, you know, in that six to 8,000. I think that's, I am a commercial cattleman and I think that's where you need to be, to be feasible. And so I try to grow with demand in my, for my customers. Cause I want to, I want to keep that average every year, right in that, in that zone. So these guys can go out and uh, be feasible and, and these bulls hold up for, you know, four or five years. And, and, uh, that's my goal. We'll see how it goes in March 17th, you know, epic, uh, drought throughout the West, including yeah. here. Worst drought we've had, and I've heard 60, 80 years, uh, maybe even worse. And then, then we have the worst winter in 20 years. Um, this I, I don't know. Everybody's cow herd is kind of shrunk and uh, lowest numbers we've ever seen. Um, I don't know what that's going to be like for our customers, but uh, I'm going to have more bulls than I should. And so it's going to be in their price point. Um, we'll just see how it goes. Um, we have the TD feed test, you know, with our um, Dana's uh, dad, Kirk Olson, my father-in-law. 
and we, you know, buy customers' calves back or let them retain ownership or partner with them. And we give out about $25,000 cash every year to customers right before the bull sale, uh, you know, in five categories, uh, winners. Mm-hmm. And that continues to grow. And, um, you know, it's crazy. It's cool. This is real data and there's real accountability. I mean, it's just, it just isn't. I talk about that all the time. When I was a commercial cattleman, I hated buying bulls and hearing from the guy one day a year and it was the day before the sale. And yeah. then never hearing from him again. And and there was no accountability. Like they, they can tell you it's the best bull in the world, but show me. Yeah. And that's what the TD feed test is about is data and, and set, you know, customers can come to my, it's really, really cool this year. I have a customer that's about three years in our program um, needed to add. They were really, really big gainers in the feed yard. Um, there was a lot of pounds there, but it wasn't as high a quality meat um, as marbling and tenderness as we'd like. And uh, he started selecting some bulls. I've had a little more marbling and uh, tenderness and his, I can't, I can't say right now if he won the feed test, but he's in the hunt um, for prime, <laughs> prime percentage and uh, CAB certified Angus beef percentage. And that's really cool. And he never, the best part is, is we actually cheapened up his bull bill and made him better. And because, because the fact he was going for more of the marbling and the tenderness than, um, than actual weight gain. Is that what you're saying there? Totally. He had the cow herd to raise a 700 pound steer calf. He had that, but we needed more marbled meat in it. So we kept that weaning weight. We just added more quality uh, pounds in them. And, uh, um, you know, we're seeing on his kill sheets, 150 to $200 a head difference in the, in the grid. And that's huge. Uh, You know, it's huge. Um, Yeah. On a, on a carcass, that's definitely huge. So uh, that's the difference between, maybe breaking even and having a pretty good profit. A hundred percent. Those cattle today, if they would have, we, we compared his data two years ago. Um, if they wouldn't have, if they would have graded like they did two years ago, those cattle would have made about 50 bucks. And uh, this year they made about a, they made a little over 200. Um, so that's pretty awesome. That's just on his steers. I mean, then he's got the heifers at home that are going to be able to raise, you know, big calves that are going to be a shot at, you know, grade and prime. And that's what it's really about. It, it's sort of funny here on, you know, we, I taped this using teams and it also does a transcript as we're talking here. And half the time when you say the word bull, it types it as B O W L. And then when it, I think when it's, when you say the word calves, it comes out as something else. So it, it's just sort of funny when I just, well, and actually when I say the word bull, Actually, you got it right. Bull and then bull. So <laughs> must be my Sand Hill accent. Well, that's that's okay. Well, I have a I have a southeastern Washington accent. So uh, yeah, uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So so your banker is asking that. I'm asking that, and the answer I'm hearing from you, Trey, is you don't know. Is that the correct no. answer? <laughs> that's a that you know in a roundabout way of the bullshit. Yeah, I don't know. I want. <laughs> I want to be uh, physically, you know, financially responsible with my customers and we're going to continue to be there. And if we get out of whack, we'll add some bulls. Um, if we can't sell some bulls, we'll cut back. Um, that's where we're at. Um, you know, our sustainable beef project is, uh, it's uh, got a lot of, you know, I mean, you know, we've been in the Wall Street Journal, we've been on Fox News, um, our producer on packing plan here in North Platte, Nebraska. Uh, Greenfield startup, you know, with some legendary people in the meatpacking industry involved. And um, it's going to get a lot of attention. We're going to see 
Um, we're going to see how my customers respond and see how other producers respond. And um, I'm very, very uh, excited to offer these cattle through our, through our packing plant. Uh, because I know the quality and I know the, the marbling in them and the tenderness and, and the and the yield in these cattle. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, you know, in five years, I'd, I'd love to say we're selling a thousand bulls because it's it's just the start of our supply chain. You know, we are a true conception to consumer model. And, you know, now with the packing plant and our partnership with Walmart, um, this is a very, very big step in a long term goal. And, you know, this cycle takes about five years for me to breed the bull, you know, one year in utero, and then a year on the ground, and then a year to sell it, and then go out to commercial customers and, you know, breed the cow, another year in utero, get the calf on the ground and feed it, takes about five years. Yeah. Um, so, so these are the bulls that we're selling that are going to feed that packing plant. Yeah. And uh, we're going to see if we can tie this all together and how much interest we got. So I don't know. Um, that's our goal. Um, We'll see. We're going to work our ass off to get there. Um, we'll see. Okay. Well, let's let's take a break for a sponsor message, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss that sustainable beef and, and the new packing plant that's going in and so on and so forth. Sounds great. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by top producer. I'm Paul Neefe, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Trey Wasserberger from North Platte, Nebraska. So Trey, you mentioned the word sustainable beef. For our listeners out there, why don't you explain in your words what, what that really means? Yeah, so this is, uh, it's very, very uh, innovative what we've done. Um, David Saul's kind of started overseas in Vietnam um, on a trade mission with the Nebraska, Nebraska Department of Ag. And actually, our governor, Pete Ricketts, was there. And um, a bull customer and a good friend of mine, uh, Rusty Kemp, kind of at that time, you know, epic uh, supply chain issues going through a massive pandemic, um, packing issues or, you know, packing margins through the roof. Uh, never been seen before and probably won't see him again. And it was it was a need. I mean, uh there was no doubt about it. I mean, we had alleys of good front end Angus cattle that we could not um, get to the packing plant. And uh, they're just, it was, a, it was a bottleneck to get there. And it kind of um, morphed into some people, some great big small feeders, cattle feeders, I call them. Uh, kind of got together with the Lapisotis family, obviously in Bridgeport, Nebraska. Cassie and Pete um, got a hold of it. They, they, they have a very, very similar model with us as us you know kind of farmer feeders and 
and not quite big enough to get a Packer deal probably. And with a bit, a major Packer and, uh, you know, but then Bob Maxwell at Rolling Stone feeders up in Ainsworth, same deal. Um, and then it kind of turned into more than that. It, I, I, as I, we found our site here in North Platte, Nebraska, um, North Platte leadership and the mayor and, uh, Gary Pearson, our CEO of economic development, um, gave us a site right next to our city wastewater treatment, um, right, you know, right off the interstate. And after, you know, there's, there's not a lot of communities that would have embraced this. And yeah. uh, that's truth. I mean, and so we really had to work hard at us. And I don't want to say selling this idea, but getting, you know, shaping the narrative of what this looks like. And this is not your, your typical um, packing plant. You know, we're not going to, harvest five, 6,000 head a day. We're going to harvest about 1,500. So we're a small packer at best and, uh, you know, highly automated and innovative and, and um, it's very, very big and spread out post COVID. Um, there's a lot of great things about it. It's going to be single shift during the day. Um, it's going to be a great place to work. I, you know, the, the average, the median wage here in North Platte is about 38,000, 40,000, which is just, above the poverty line yeah and that's that's the median wage and and here we're going to be you know we're non-corporate and we're producer owned and and uh, we're going to offer our you know starting on the on the line is going to be 55 60 thousand and so that that speaks volumes and we got our economic uh uh feasibility study back from renowned world economist and dr ernie goss and creighton and it's a 1.59 billion dollar impact for our community and um and that recirculates and we're going to bring about 800 jobs and there's going to be about 2500 auxiliary jobs added after that um you know north platte for the last north Platte, nebraska for the last 30 years has been stagnant in growth yeah um, we're, we're talking about shutting down schools at uh, we were, were to that point until this project came along you know we were going to board up schools and i'm not interested in that um i'm, I'm, I'm interested in building schools uh, not shutting them down so it became more about our community and then it became about the cattlemen and, uh, you know, similar families like the Laposotuses that are going through the same deal problems as we do. And that's not sustainable. Um, it's very, very hard as a young man to get into cattle feeding because of the equity it takes and the capital and then such high risk. And uh, we needed to change that. And this was our solution to that. It's just turned into... Uh, this giant project and we, we broke ground in, in October and uh, we're moving dirt about 400 loads a day, three to 400 loads a day into the site. <coughs> and um, yeah, we're pouring some concrete. Um, we hope to be completed here, you know, in early 2025 and, and be rocking and rolling. So uh, we're really excited about the opportunity and the economic impact it brings to our region. Um, yeah, and, and a new era. And it, it's different. It's new. It's never been done before. Yeah. And uh, we're proud so of that. So the, the primary supply then for the feed plant is the owner's supply of cattle. Is that is that a, an accurate way of saying it? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there's three main cattle feeding families that are founders and owners, and they're going to, you know, commit their cattle to it. Um, but also, we went out and talked to over 20 feed yards and sold some shackle space, too, to uh, raise some capital and and offer some premiums these cattle feeders yeah and like 20 over 20 feed yards signed up um, bought some shackles and what that's what i'm really proud about is we just didn't you know sort 
who's going to get to be involved in this. And if this is something that intrigued you and you wanted to be involved in, and as a cattle feeder, we talked to you and you had this opportunity. And so this was a very, very open and transparent uh, process. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of people involved and uh, yeah, it's great. We're moving. Here we go. No turning <laughs> back now. <laughs> yeah. If you're moving uh, 400 loads of dirt a day, uh, it's going to be a little tough to turn around. Yeah, um, we're committed, and uh, uh, the town's excited. There's been a lot of economic impact. I mean, we're selling a lot of diesel already. One of my yeah. old customers actually got one of the dirt uh, dirt contracts. So we kind of laugh. You know, we've never had oil wells here in in uh, sand or you know in sand hills really, and and he's getting an oil well check for taking out a hill, smoothing <laughs> uh, uh, out yeah. his hill for him. So that's that's good. But uh, yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, you had sort of mentioned a little bit that during the pandemic, you know, packer margins were the highest they've ever been, sort of a black swan event. Uh, what's your thoughts? Do you think, like, say, it's going to go back to normal or? The fact that now we have a, a you know, the, a, the the actual herd size is contracting and so on. What what's your thoughts on that whole quote excess profits for uh, for um, for uh, packing plants? Yeah, I mean, it was really really easy at the start of our pro project to get people involved uh, because packer margins were five hundred to a thousand dollars a head. Yeah. Um, today that is not the case. We've really contracted back to a normal level of about fifty to one hundred and fifty. And uh, that's still historically high. Um, but yeah, this cow, this cow supply is shrinking by the day. Um, you know, our little little sale barns around here sold more way up cows uh, than they ever have. And over twice as many way ups as they did bred cows. And, you know, I, I bought some replacement heifers from my customer last Thursday and had to give $1,335 a head for 700 pound heifer. And that's just to beat out the feeder. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's high. That's high. I mean, and you know, you got a two two oh nine two ten feeder board out there in front of us in August, or September and October. Um, this the futures are telling you we're short. We're going to be short cattle, and uh, that's going to be tough because uh, there's 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 some you know there's not a lot of um, people out there that know how to survive in the meatpacking industry uh, with tight margins. Um, yeah. You know, when you have nine dollar corn. Everybody's a pretty good farmer, uh, <laughs> right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Real farmers get it done on two dollar corn, and uh, it's it's going to be no different in the meatpacking industry. And so we're going to have to tighten our belt and uh, get a great team involved and hired on because we're, you know, this is. I get told all the time, why in the hell would you build a packing plant? You know, the smallest cow supply in the world, and this is just going to be a wreck. And I said, hey, every time. In agriculture, if you buy a farm or ranch, are you buying that ranch for a one-year return? No. Yeah, yeah. We're no, doing we're doing this. No, we're doing this for a generational um, change, and this is a this is a ten-year project at least. Yeah. Um, right. You know, my children. I'm young, uh, you know, comparatively, and my children will benefit from this way more than I ever will. Yeah. yeah. That's what agriculture is about. Well, that's your goal. You always want your kids to do better than you. So you want Hell to yeah. set them up to succeed. And uh, I mean, you don't want to fail, but you definitely want to set them up so that they can do better than you. Yeah, you. I mean, I, I think that's every 
every every family in agriculture wants to have it easier for the next generation because this is not getting easier this labor issue inflation inputs and um you know what but i don't want my children to drive down a feed yard alley and have the, the some of the best cattle in the world with no place to go yeah, um, yeah. mentally that it's a, it was a very very dark time in history and there's a lot of people that got out of the cattle feeding industry because of it and did not come back and will not. Yeah. Uh, this was my solution to that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a generational thing. Yeah. We're going to see tough times, but uh, we do in all sectors. I don't, you know, yeah. the cow calf deal hadn't been easy the last three, four years either. Well, um, and on the grain side, you know, $9, $8, dollars corn is not going to be here a year from now or two years from now. So uh you know, these things always go in cycles. You have the up cycle and the down cycle. Yeah, it's so different in the packing industry. And uh, yeah, I still, uh, I averaged my corn uh, in the last five years. I'm still under $4. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't get very, there's a short window to, to make a lot of money in agriculture. Yeah. And <laughs> you got to make hay while the sun yeah. shines because these days are over. And it looks like the cow-calf side is going to be the driver here the next couple of years. Uh, you know, if the good the good Lord blesses us with, with, a, with a wide rain this spring, uh, why, I don't know. You'll see things we've never seen before. Yeah, um, no, I know. I know. Well, you, you mentioned children a couple of times. Uh, how old are your children? I'm guessing they're fairly young and you probably don't know if they're interested in, in going into the ranching or the business after that. But I'm just curious what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, so I got four children. Um we're me and my wife Dana do and and uh we don't have a daycare uh we don't have a nanny um which she uh we do it all together and, and they were there with us every day and I got a seven-year-old boy Weston um you know wants to do what dad does is what he says yeah. and um I, I I don't I don't know I mean it's hard it's funny as I'm a I'm a livestock breeder now and heritability is so different I mean everybody's my children are so different um and then you know weston's kind of uh you know typical firstborn and um you know obedient and hardworking and just a great kid and then <laughs> i got a, two two daughters you know right after him uh five and four uh gentry and she's a little cowgirl she likes loves to ride horses and and be involved and and then gwen uh you know her little sister you know just soon paint her nails <laughs> and uh you know and go get her hair done and, yeah. and uh you know change clothes four or five times a day i mean that's just who they are i got a cowgirl and i, I got a, the opposite and then i got a little boy he's two he's wacy and you know he's just a bulldozer and just a terrorist <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just his own man and beats to his own drum and yeah i do you know my my, my goal personally um how I got here, my dad was the youngest son of a large family, you know, three brothers. Um, my, my, my mom was the youngest in her family as well. And there was no room for them. Yeah. And that's, that's how this happened is, and I always, you know, it's very humbling to look at my past and my family's future. And I don't want that. I want whether my family, whether my children come back or not, I, I at least want them to have the option. Right. Right. I, I, yeah. I, you know, nothing. I had a family come up to me the other day and they don't have room. They have two sons. 
and uh, they don't have room on their ranch for one. And the other son came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to go to the University of Nebraska. Um, he's graduating this spring. Great young kid. I'm going to go to the University of Nebraska and get a meat science degree. Will there be a job for me in the plant? And his mom cried because she wants him here. But mm -hmm. there's not a job for him with animal science um, degree. And so that's cool. I mean, you know, maybe one of my, you know, maybe I got a cattle feeder. Or maybe I have a, you know, livestock breeder. And, and maybe I have somebody working the plant as my children. I want them to have that option and that choice if, the, if, it, if they choose to do so. Um, that's my goal in life. Uh, yeah to create that for my children. So yeah. I'm going to keep yeah. going. You are that. right when you say they're all different. I have four sons and they are uh, completely 100% different. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just interesting how, and they're raised the same way, but it's just that family dynamics. Yeah, totally. My older brother is an orthopedic surgeon and I'm a <laughs> cowboy. I mean, it's just wild. You never know. Did did growing up, did my dad think I was going to be a rancher? Probably not. Did he think he was going to be an orthopedic surgeon? Probably not. You just never know. But at least they had those options. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, we're getting close to the end of the conversation. This has been great so far. Um, you know, I, I have always have two or three questions I like to end with. The first was, who was your mentor? Uh, who helped you really get going in this? You know, I'm very, very blessed. Um, I'm in all uh, sectors of the industry now from, you know, conception to consumer. And I have a mentor in every single one along the way. And, you know, Bill Rischel, uh, you know, up for Saddle and Sirloin Club, uh, perennial breeders taught me everything about the registered business. My father-in-law, Kirk Olson, has, uh, you know, diehard, one of the last, and his dad, Andy Olson, one of the last diehard cattle feeders and mavericks in the world taught me a lot about feeding cattle and, and buying cattle and selling cattle and managing cattle. And then, you know, at the packing plant level, I have Bill Rupp, you know, who's a former CEO of uh, J JBS and, and Cargill. I talked to him yesterday for 40, 40 minutes. Um, he's a founder for us in the plant and he's, he always takes my phone call and here's a young man that's never worked a day in a packing plant. And uh, I'm highly unqualified and inexperienced and, and he doesn't care. Um, he's, he's there to teach me and mentor me and he's available every day. And I always tell young, young, I, I speak at a lot of colleges and they say, how do we get started in agriculture? And my, my advice to you is to go find a mentor that you, you respect and go to work for them. Because the best part about agriculture is we don't keep secrets. I'm learning that about corporate. They damn sure keep a secret. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, don't, do. they don't work well together. Yeah. And, uh, in agriculture, you know, here's Bill Rupp. I've never made him a dime or had to pay him anything. I've just shown a little work ethic and interest and he's given me 30 years of packing experience. Yeah. Um, it's available and they're out there and, and the Bill Richels of the world want, you know, we'll take a pay cut to see this move on and continue and it's available out there. So I'm very, very lucky to have mentors and then Greg Wilkie in banking. Um, man, I can call him any time of day and say, Hey, you know, I've never seen rising interest rates. Um, I'm in it today and it's changed. It's changed my model and it's yeah. changed how aggressive I can be. And without his help, I don't know. I'd be very, very lost yeah. uh, trying yeah. to manage this right now. So yeah, we're very, very lucky. Yeah, we. you're right. We definitely have a generation of farmers that have never seen really rising interest rates. They've only seen either falling interest rates or flat interest rates. So it's, it, it's definitely a different, uh, it's a different business model at that point. Yeah, we've got two generations. My father-in-law has never seen, 
increasing interest rates. Now he started at 18% and saw it decline, <laughs> yeah. but he's never seen it increase. And it's, it's, it's a different, you know, when the, when the bank's making $50 a head on fat cattle on you. Yeah. Yeah. You got you to <laughs> tighten your belt. Yeah. And uh, it's a different model today. So yeah, it's, we'll see. We got all got to get creative if we're going to survive. Yeah, I think I already know the answer to the next question because I'm not sure if you're going to have enough time. But uh, uh, what is your hobby besides being a rancher and being involved in the packing business? <laughs> uh, I don't golf. I don't. I don't go on vacations. Um, my my passion is the cattle industry and and um, and you know moving and and doing things and thinking outside the box. Uh, I'm always wanting to. Uh, take it to the limit and go no further. Um, I, I will. I will. Uh, I will go to the lake every once in a while. Three months out of the year, you can in Nebraska, <laughs> but uh, that's about it. Uh, you know, my business is my hobby, and I wouldn't wouldn't be involved and work this hard if it wasn't. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then speaking of the the business, uh, what keeps you up at night? Oh yeah, <clears throat> lots of things, but. Uh, <laughs> The thing that I regret the most, and this is going to, I think, would resonate with a lot of uh, producers, is um, missed opportunities and 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 saying no. And specifically, um, piece of ground came up for sale next to me, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Probably could have made it work. I didn't, and I drive by it every day, and I just want to puke. <laughs> yep. And, yeah. And so now my philosophy is i say yes i mean sustainable beef hey let's do this crazy idea try to build a 400 million dollar packing plant um producer owned greenfield startups never been done before you in yes and look what it did and uh so yeah missed opportunities haunt me and uh yeah. so and i had to learn that was something i had to learn that uh when you miss opportunities you regret it and so don't let it happen again. Well, like you say, you, you look back on it, uh, that's some of your best learning experiences are a missed opportunity or doing something wrong versus doing something right. If you do something right, to some degree, you really don't learn much from that because, hey, I did it right. I don't need to learn anything. Yeah, totally. I mean, re regret regret is a huge crutch I've learned. Yeah. And it, and it'll, and it'll, and it, and it, it's a heavy burden on your shoulders and you just can't. It's hard to live with so you just gotta when an opportunity comes your way hey you want to buy a, a ranch south of north platte with 400 head of registered cows even though you never owned one if i'd have said no i wouldn't be here today yeah yeah um, exactly exactly well yes. then and then finally what's your definition of success in farming <laughs> well you know you know we're, we're farmers and producers so we don't have cash i mean that's just the truth <laughs> i mean we have assets but it's just a scoreboard in my opinion. And, um, it's not about the money. If it was about the money, we damn sure wouldn't be doing this. Um, yeah. success to me is in 20 years, uh, when my children are grown up and, you know, have become fine adults and citizens of their community, um, that they, they have the option to come back yeah. and work for us. That's yeah. my definition. It's a great definition. Uh, you know, every, Every time I ask that question, it's very rarely about having too much land or having too many combines. It always comes back to the people. So I, yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely a definition, good definition.
I agree. Well, Trey, I I think we will have to have some more conversations in the future to just see how the plan's going along and and if the bank has finally told you to stop uh, expanding. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd love that. So I hope I can report with good news. And and uh, yeah, it's going to be um, it's it's turning out to be chapter one of a great story. Yeah, um, no, I because to totally agree. So, well, this has been great. Like I say, we'll try to have another conversation. But uh, any other words you want to leave with the listeners before we sign off? Oh, I just want to thank uh, thank you for having me on, Paul, and and uh, you know, top producer uh, in Farm Journal for the honor and the privilege. You know, we just don't um, get these opportunities. We don't. They don't see us out there. You know, at two in the morning checking calves, and you got a two year old heifer that was born in your embryo program standing over a dead calf, and yeah. they don't see yeah. they don't they don't see those things, and they don't see you beg your bank for one more shot. Um, so. Yeah. We need to celebrate our youth, and so this is a great opportunity and great fraternity as well with the past winners, and I'm very, very humbled and proud to be a part of it. Well, thanks a lot, Trey. Again, this is the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, signing off. When you work with Rabo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.raboag.com. Growing a better world together. Rabo AgriFinance.